Advent is a time of expectation and hope. Advent means arrival or coming, and it prompts us to pause and remember why Jesus came. The first candle of Advent represents hope and promise. Hope in the coming Messiah. I'm going to read from Isaiah 11, 1 through 5. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. The promise of our Savior's birth will come from Luke 1, 28 through 31. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Let us pray together. Father, our hearts desire your presence even more as we see the promise of Jesus in your word. Increase our understanding of your truth and give us strength to grow in the, our faith so that our days are filled with hope. Lord, as the light of this candle of hope and promise shines, remind us that we are the light of Jesus in our world. Amen. May the hope of the Lord's promises be with you. May his love shine on our hearts and his peace with us, be with us all. Amen. I didn't grow up in a church that lit an Advent candle. Now, when I was young and we were in the Methodist church, we did it. But as I got older, we didn't do it. And there was just something about the tradition that just really kind of grabbed me this year. There's something about taking a moment and focusing ourselves back on what Christmas really means. Now, I know most of you already had your Christmas tree up. You've, you've been singing Christmas music for weeks. Some of you bought all your presents on, on Friday. But we know that's not what it's about. It's about Jesus. So as we light these candles over the next several weeks, we're doing this together to remind us of what this season is really about. Amen? All right, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Go ahead and be turning over to Philippians chapter 4. In uh, 1868, a man named W.E.B. Du Bois was born. And he went on to be the first black man that graduated from Harvard with a Ph.D. He also was a celebrated sociologist, historian, author, educator, and early civil rights leader. He wrote books, he wrote pamphlets, he wrote articles, he helped found and lead civic organizations, and he also fought for, for black education. And he did a lot of these things uh, with the intent of kickstarting a, a conversation in the nation uh, concerning race. 
1897, he wrote an article that was published in a national magazine, and it was his first article that was aimed at the general public. And in it, he discussed how um, black Americans could be proud of their African heritage, but at the same time be really strong Americans and contribute to society. But the holdup, as we would all know, was the, the racial atmosphere in the country. It must have seemed like to somebody that was working so hard to try to start these conversations that for every step forward, there was two steps back. Government policy and agreements that had been made were just reversed without any discussion. Legislation to do something that you would think would have some common sense, making it illegal to lynch somebody, fell on deaf ears. And somebody wrote about Du Bois that he had to learn the truth about truth. Just because it's available doesn't mean that it will be appropriated. Now, we're finishing our study this morning on the book of Philippians, chapter 4, as I said. And I believe this has been a, a, a great lesson series. If you haven't heard the first three, I would highly suggest that, that you go back and either listen to those or watch those. You can find them on the website, nctyler.org. You can find them on our uh, Facebook page, or you can find them on our YouTube channel. Go and listen to those, because I believe that there has been a lot of truth that has been brought out during these lessons, but as we just illustrated, truth being available doesn't mean that it will be appropriated. We've got to do our part. We've got to put it into practice. So starting in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to go almost to the end of the chapter first, and we're going to grab the scripture that if somebody knows anything about Philippians chapter 4, this is the scripture that they're going to know. It's overquoted, but it's Philippians 4.13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now we see ball players with 413 on their eye black. We see, you can go to any Christian bookstore, you can go to just about any store in the South, really, and you can find a plaque that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can hang it on the wall in your house. You can find bookmarks with this printed on it. You can get bumper stickers, you can get t-shirts, you can get all kinds of things. But what is the context that Paul was saying this? Why did he even say this? Or did he just out of the blue go, hey, you know what? I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. You can tweet that. You think Paul was thinking that? I don't think so. So let's back up to verse 12 and see the context in which Paul was saying this. Philippians 4.12 says, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, 
with plenty or with little, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's saying that he can do the tough things in life. We like the easy things in life, don't we? Everybody likes the easy things in life. But if, if, if it's easy and we can do it and we can make it happen, why are, we, why are we running around saying, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me? It's the tough times. It's when we're going through things that we really need the strength of Jesus, right? And he said he could do these things because he's learned the secret. What's the secret? Well, that's what this lesson is going to be about. The secret, I want to show you some truth that if we appropriate it, we'll know the secret too, all right? So here's the first truth to unlocking the secret, keeping my joy tank full. Now let's go back to the beginning of Philippians 4 and let's look at verse 4. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. 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 When should we rejoice in the Lord? Always. And in case you miss the always, again I say rejoice. Always. How many of you this past Thursday stuffed yourself full of turkey? and mashed potatoes, and green bean casserole, and whatever else that your, your family likes to eat. And afterwards, you know, there's three or four uh, different types of pies, and you had one piece of all of them, right? And you're sitting there going, whoo, I may never eat again. But that was a lie, wasn't it? You ate again. You ate again. Paul is saying, hey, when you think you're full of rejoicing, go ahead and do it some more. Rejoice again. Rejoice again. Philippians 4, 4, out of the message, says, celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Wow. My walk with Jesus doesn't look like that at this moment. I want it to. I want to be to the place where people say, hey, you know Pastor Chris? He revels in God all day long. So it's not just rejoice a little bit. It's revel in God. Now listen to Philippians 4.4 out of the Passion Translation. Be cheerful with joyous celebration in every season of life. Let joy overflow, for you are united with the anointed one. You are united. If there's nothing else to revel in, if there's nothing else to rejoice in, we can rejoice in the fact that we are united with the anointed one. You agree with that? So when your kids are sick again, third time in six weeks, my kids are sick again, we can rejoice because we're united 
with the anointed one. When they cut our hours back at work, we can rejoice because we're united with the anointed one. When my spouse and I have been having some arguments, I can still rejoice because I'm united with the anointed one. But I know what you're going to say because I would say the same thing. I can't help but be upset in these situations. Hey, it's just human nature, right? It's human nature to be upset when things aren't going my way, when things are going wrong. It's human nature, right? Well, guess what? When you're united with the anointed one, you now have a heavenly nature. I don't have to live by my, my, my earthly nature. I live by my heavenly nature nature. So we need to lean into that heavenly nature. Now, I'm not saying that we ignore the problem. Faith is not ignoring the problem. Faith is not going. It's not really there. Faith is not ignoring the problem, but faith is saying the problem will not take preeminence in my life. Let me say this very, very clearly, okay? It is okay to not be okay. It is okay. Sometimes when we hear a message like this, the the enemy immediately starts saying, see, you stink. See, you're terrible. Oh, they're talking about rejoicing and all you do is whine. You know what? It's okay to not be okay. But our connection with the anointed one says we don't have to stay that way. We don't have to stay that way. My initial reaction may be pain. It may be fear. It may be anger. It may be hurt. But my joy cannot be conditional. It's a choice. It's a choice in the face of trouble to rejoice. And when the trouble tries to to scream scream at me again, I rejoice again. Not rejoicing in the problem. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, my kids are sick. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. They fired me. Oh, can't pay the bills and it's right around Christmas time. Thank you, Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is no matter what, rejoice in the fact that you are united with the anointed one. Years and years ago, when Lisa and I, years and years and years ago, when Lisa and I were first married, when we were first married, and we were first in ministry. I remember this Sunday morning, um, we were in, in, in worship, and I'm just there just worshiping. I'm just enjoying the music, and I'm worshiping. And then the Lord spoke to me. You ever have the Lord speak to you and just ruin a good, a good mood, a good vibe? God just speaks something to you. So I'm there, and I'm just worshiping. And the Lord just says, hey, stop treating your spiritual life the way you treat your truck. And I go, what are you talking about? And I had a vision. <laughs> I, 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 I saw this picture of my, my gas gauge <laughs> sitting on empty. Why? Because I always drove my truck on empty. I put just enough gas to get me where I was going. And the Lord was saying, stop treating your spiritual life like your truck. Stop driving around and living on empty all the time when I have given you enough to live on full. So keep your joy tank full, not on empty. 
All right. The second truth to unlocking the secret. We have to turn worry into prayer. We have to turn worry into prayer. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Do not be anxious for anything. Anything. You know, God knows that we have needs because he knows we have issues, right? He knows that we have trouble. He knows there's pain in this life. But Paul is saying, stop worrying and start praying. Stop worrying and start praying. The Greek word there for anything literally means not one thing. Do not worry about even one thing. See, sometimes we think we're doing good. You know, I got all this out here, but I'm only worrying about this part right here. But the scripture is telling us, don't even worry about that. Do not worry about one thing. So don't worry about anything, but in everything. Pray. Pray. We could even say Bob Marley sang a song about it, didn't he? Don't worry about a thing. Why? Yeah. I knew y'all weren't that sanctified. You're sitting out there going, I have, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> so how do we stop worrying? How do we stop worrying? The second half of the verse tells us. Philippians 4, 6, second half of the verse. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Listen to it out of the Passion Translation. Be saturated in prayer. Throughout the day. Be saturated in prayer throughout the day. That doesn't describe my prayer life usually. Offering your faith-filled requests before God with overflowing gratitude. Think about saturation. When something is saturated, it is not just a little wet, is it? It's completely full. It couldn't hold anything else. Be saturated in prayer all throughout the day. Now think about this. Whatever is causing our anxiousness, we can take it to God in prayer as an act of worship. Supplications just just means making our request to God. And the Greek indicates that it's in the presence of God. In the presence of God, I can take my anxiousness and I can give it to him as an act of worship. And then I'm just grateful and thankful. So how do we stop worrying? Very simple. Worship, request, rejoice. Worship, request, rejoice. When anxiousness tries to get on you, worship, Request, rejoice, and do it boldly. Because Hebrews 4.16 says, let us come with confidence. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Please understand that worry is out of place in the presence of God. Worry is fear's muscle. 
Worry is fear's muscle. We were created for faith, not for fear. Fear is not our heavenly language. Faith is. In fear and worry, we can feel choked. Have you ever felt so anxious, so worried, that it feels like it's just sitting on you? I've known people that in those those moments, they, they have a panic attack so bad, they think they're having a heart attack. That's what worry and fear will do to us. But faith, when we're living in faith and joy, we can breathe easily. Listen, to live by worry is to live against the reality of God. You hear that? When we're living in worry, we're saying God's reality is not real. Therefore, I'm saying I can't do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In a certain region in Africa, the converts to Christianity were very, very diligent about praying. So diligent about prayer that they all had their own prayer places outside of the village. And they would walk back and forth to wherever they had chosen to to pray, you know, out, out, out in the open. But they did it so much that they began to, to, to wear footpaths to their prayer closet. And they, the, 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 the village was so full of praying people that they actually knew whose prayer path belonged to who. You could go, oh, that's brother so-and-so's or that's sister so-and-so's. And after a while you might notice a little grass growing back over the, the footpath. And when, when you saw that, you, you realized that whoever's footpath that was, and they were struggling. So a, a very unique custom came up in this tribe. When they noticed that some grass was growing over somebody's footpath, they would go to the person And they would say, friend, there's grass on your path. Is there grass on our path? Are we saturated in prayer all day, every day? Are we allowing anxiousness and worry to keep us from praying? When that should be the time when we're wearing that path Ooh, the more I got to worry about, the more I got to go to God. Wear that path, wear that path, wear that path. All right, the third truth to unlocking the secret is I don't always have to understand to receive. I don't always have to understand to receive. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, In the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. When we choose joy in the face of trouble, and we learn to pray instead of worry, our mind and our emotions will be flooded with a peace that we can't even explain. 
It doesn't make any sense. It definitely does not make any sense to my human nature. Because my human nature wants to worry about it. But my heavenly nature, leaning into the things of God, leaning into prayer, leaning into worship, leaning into rejoicing, there's a peace that comes that we don't even understand. But it's a result of being with the anointed one in prayer. This word guard right here where it says it will guard your hearts. This word guard is a military term and it connotes building a fortress around and protecting. So God doesn't just build something to protect you and leave it. You know, like build a fence and he's going to leave it. Not only does he build the wall, the fence around you to protect you, but he is standing guard is really what the scripture is saying. An unfathomable peace will surround and guard and protect our mind and our emotions. Are we living on that path? Now I'm talking about me. You know, as I was going through a lot of this stuff, I was just going, Lord, I feel like I'm missing it a little bit. I don't feel saturated. I want to be saturated in prayer. Put that on my headstone. He was saturated, okay? Saturated in prayer. And when I get to that place, and God's going to protect my heart and my mind. But when I'm living in that place of anxiousness and worry, and I'm not running to God, I'm not living as God intends for his children to live. The peace doesn't make sense. Have you ever seen somebody that lives in this, that has been there in the midst of all kinds of chaos and trouble and terror, that that person is just at peace and you're going, what is wrong with this person? I have my wife. I'm going to brag on my wife for a minute. When I went through what I went through with that sickness, which is going on three years ago, thank God, and I'm, I'm laying in a bed doing everything I can not to die, but at, at sometimes being really aggravated that I am dying, you know who had peace? My wife. Now, she will admit that she had her moments, but you know what? She never had her moments in front of me. And she would come in and she would pray. And she would come in and she would worship. And she would come in and she would say, you're going to worship. I'm going to make me. But there was such a peace on her and coming through her. Why? Yes, there was worry. Yes, there was anxiousness. Didn't see a whole lot that we could rejoice about. But she was wearing out that footpath. She was going to the Lord constantly. And because the peace was on her, it began to get on me. So you're not just doing these things for you. You're doing, for that, doing it for that person that's watching you. All right, the fourth truth. 
We'll finish up here pretty quickly. The fourth truth to unlocking the secret is keeping my thoughts in check. Keeping my thoughts in check. Verse 8 in Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. Think on these things. If we can find anything, think on these things. But instead of truth, honor, and justice, sometimes my thoughts slip to accusation. I know just enough of the story to pass judgment. I pass judgment on others, pass judgments on myself. And there's been times when I've even judged God's intentions. I'm just being honest with you this morning, all right? Instead of purity, love, and commendation, my thoughts sometimes can slip into speculation. Accusation and speculation, that is not a good combination. In speculation, I fill in the blanks. I see the story, but there's a few holes in it, so I speculate. Have you ever played Mad Libs? I love Mad Libs. Mad Libs, they give you a story, but they, they leave blanks in it, and it says, you know, add a noun, add a verb, you know, add an adjective, and it makes this crazy story. I play spiritual Mad Libs. I see the story, but there's a few holes in the story, so speculation helps me fill in the blanks. but it's not the truth. And here's the biggest problem is I usually fill in the blanks with my own fears, my own struggles, and my own insecurities. So I see somebody going through something, I see the story, but I start to speculate on why they're going through it, what their real intention is. And when you start to speculate, I promise you, you will get into accusation. And there's had to be times when I just stop and go, you know what? I am not going to listen to that accusation because it just comes bombarding. I'm not going to receive an accusation. I'm not going to listen to it. And Paul was saying if we can find anything good, dwell on that. Even if there's nothing at all good in a situation, what can we dwell on? That I'm united with the anointed one. Dwell on that. Then we can start to rejoice. We can stop worrying. We can start praying. And we can allow the peace of God to defend us. And you know what? When I've learned these things, when I've seen this truth, I find that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is the person that God has recreated me to be. When I'm living in the knowledge that I'm in union with the anointed one, I rejoice, I worship, I'm in peace, and my mind is fixed on love. I'm free. I'm loving. This is my heavenly nature. 
This is when I'm exhibiting the qualities of a child of God. I'm passionate about the kingdom. But my human nature wants to complain instead of rejoice. I'll be anxious instead of being at peace. I'll accuse and speculate instead of love. And this is when I'm submitting to the sin that still wants to control me. And I find myself being bound and fearful. And I'm feeding on selfishness. But I want to be who God has called me to be. But you know what? Many times it's just easier to live in my human nature. It's easier to live in our human nature than it is our heavenly nature. I see the truth of God's truth, but sometimes I struggle to appropriate it. I'll end with this story. I read this about a a young boy who lived on a, a farm. And on that farm, he had a, uh, his family had a, a big pond. And some wild ducks had come and landed on that pond. And the boy just began to feed them. You know, he's feeding the chickens and everything else. So he's just, he's feeding them the same cor- corn that he's feeding the, the barnyard animals. And these ducks decided they were going to stay where the food was free and plentiful. In other words, they didn't fly off. And sometimes later, after the, the ducks had, had basically become, you know, barnyard animals, pets, the boy was out one evening and he saw a gaggle of geese flying over, honking as they went. And then he noticed the now tame ducks on the pond. When they would hear the honking, They'd start flapping their wings as if something on the inside of them was calling them to go back to the freedom that God had created them for. Yet it was easier to live where the corn was free. And in fact, their desire to fly the author said it just made him look uncomfortable. So God has created us to fly with him. But does it make us uncomfortable when we start talking about rejoicing in the face of trouble or allowing faith to overwhelm fear? Does it seem impossible that the peace of God will flow through our mind and emotions and that I can truly do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, it does when we're being fed by our human nature and we're forgetting that we are united with the anointed one. So what do I want you to know? I want you to know that you were created to do all things through Christ. 
You were created to live by faith and not fear. What do I want you to feel? I want you to feel as you're connecting with that heavenly nature, the anxiety lifting as peace that passes understanding begins to flood your heart and mind. And what do I want you to do? I want you to rejoice and then rejoice some more. And in a message like this, I want you to do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do. Because if you're hearing condemnation, you're not hearing God. If you're hearing that I'm just no good, I'll never be able to do this, you're not hearing God. Because the Holy Spirit will just begin to convince us of who we are in Christ, that we are united with the anointed one, and that we were created for this, and he's not asking me to do anything that he has not equipped me to do. I've just got to lean into it. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Is he saying, stop worrying. Bring it to me in prayer. Is he saying that every time that that, that you see that person that has offended you or hurt you and that anger stirs up in you again, is he saying, no, rejoice anyway. Rejoice anyway. Is he saying, let me be your protector? Because I'm going to tell you, one of our, our biggest drawbacks is that we are our own protector. We defend ourselves. When he said, let me build a castle around you and let me stand guard. Let me protect you. Oh yeah, there's some vulnerability that comes with this. But it's when we start getting real that we start really knowing God. 